Hey, Paul, Dan Helly, how you doing, man? Dan, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I am excited to speak with you, sir. I did. I'm excited too. Where are you? Where are you located? <laughs> I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha football Sweet. hotbed, NFL hotbed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, before um, we get going, I'm driving right along the ocean, and occasionally uh, I lose signal. So just just bear with me. If I lose you, I'll call you right back. Perfect. Sounds beautiful, by the way. Which ocean? Yeah, sorry, didn't mean to rub that in. In uh, since you're in Omaha, um, I am. Uh, I'm just leaving my house in uh, Manhattan Beach in uh, L.A. Oh, so the Pacific Ocean. Dan, all I've got here is the Missouri River. Is that a is that a close comparison to the beauty that you're experiencing right now? It's a body of water. I think it counts. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you the nod on that one. Um, so tell, tell me what, what's your, what's your deal? Are you, uh, did you go to school in Nebraska? Are you from Nebraska? What, what brought you there? I'm from Nebraska. I think pretty much everybody that's here grows up here. It's not a big okay. destination. I mean, Missouri river is nice, but it's not that nice. I uh, went to school out here for uh, about half of my college career. And then I actually went to journalism school in Columbia college in Chicago, Illinois. So, um, moved back here probably six years ago. And uh, just doing the freelance journalism gig full time, so um, that's great. It is. It's ideal. I mean, it's everything I've worked for, so I'm I'm really thankful. And it it kind of looks like your background is is somewhat similar. You know, you've been working really hard to get where you are now. Yeah, I've uh, I I say it's it's like minor league baseball, and I feel like I've literally um, climbed every rung of the of the minor league TV ladder. Uh, from rookie ball to single A, double A, triple A, and, and and then to the major. So it's it really is my career path. It's been almost exactly like that with the number of stops that I've had. Has, is it a misconception that you run into where people turn on NFL Network one day and say, "Who's this joker?" You know, he just comes on here overnight. Is that kind of the perception? Would you say? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think anybody that is new on a national level, it takes you some time to get used to them. I remember um, I, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I grew up a big fan of Tony Kornheiser and Mike Wilbon. And I remember when Kornheiser had his national radio show and Colin Cowherd replaced him. And it took me a couple of weeks to realize, wow, this Cowherd guy's actually pretty good, you know, because I liked what I liked. I liked Kornheiser. And for two weeks, I, I thought the guy sucked because he wasn't Kornheiser. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, he, he grew on me, and uh, you know, now he's obviously one of the one of the best in the biz in terms of talk radio and debate. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, that's a, that's actually a really good question. I, maybe people do do the same thing that I did, and, and it takes him a couple of weeks or a couple of months to to get to know somebody and, and, and like somebody. I, you know, one of the most important things in TV is just likability in general. You're not going to watch somebody if you think they're an asshole, right? Um, you know, unless unless it's you know like Trump or a lot of people think he's an asshole, but they just watch him because it's it's a train wreck. Um, but I think when you tune in for your sports and you tune in for your news, the, the likability factor is important. Going from uh, focus primary on local stuff, as you mentioned at, at every stop on the minor league baseball ladder, so to speak, did you alter your approach? You know, getting in front of a national audience. No, not really. You know, the, it's funny. I remember when I was hired, um, 
they said, so what's your, what's your style? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I've never really thought about that before. I, I mean, my style is just to be me. And, you know, luckily from Florence, South Carolina to Washington, D.C. to NFL Network, you know, just being me has worked out okay. And so I, I find that if you are in front of a camera and if you try to be somebody else, that's hard to duplicate on a daily basis. So you can really only be what you know and who you are. And so that's, that's all I've ever really tried to do. That's a, a great answer. I, I was in Los Angeles for the ESPY Awards about a month ago and, and interviewed uh, Sage Steele, who does a lot of ABC's big-time NBA stuff. And that was one of the questions that I asked her, too, was, is it weird when you're out in your real day-to-day life and people are sort of in the background saying, wow, there's Dan Helley? Do you get used, do you get used to that? Well, I actually know Sage a little bit, and she she probably gets a lot more of that than than I do. Um, you know, I anytime, which isn't that often, that you get recognized out in public, I, I appreciate it, um, and it always it always surprised me, you know, especially back in D.C., you know, because it was more of a of kind of a hometown feel. You'd be in the grocery store and you know, the, the clerk would recognize you and say something when you had your baseball hat on and you just weren't expecting it. The, the, the one thing to me is I, I just try to remember, no matter who it is, if it's, if it's somebody on the phone who's trying to sell you something or somebody who, you know, it went, something went wrong at the airline and you're dealing with somebody, you're trying to fix uh, a, a missed flight. You never know who knows you and you never know, what they think of you beforehand. And I always just try to, you know, the old adage, just treat people like you want to be treated mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. just not, cause there are, there, there are people who aren't good people in our business and every business. And, um, I just try to re- try to remember that, but certainly, uh, I don't get, uh, as much, this is Los Angeles. And that's one thing that was really interesting is, is there are, there are so many people here who have their own TV shows and, are in movies that, uh, you know, I'm just a little drop in the bucket, blip on the radar. Uh, speaking of uh, a big blip on the radar, George Michael. Uh, you, you hooked up with George Michael back in D.C., I believe, as part of the George Michael Sports Machine. I used to love that show. Well, you're, you're young, man. How do you, do you remember that? How old are you? I'm 36 years old. I remember it vividly because it would come on. I loved his presentation. I loved his set. It was so old school. But it was no nonsense. He was he was giving you the information that you needed. I remember watching it. It was on like once a week, Sunday night after the local news. Yeah. Yeah, it was on uh, for 27 years. And um, I grew up watching the sports machine. You know, George Michael not only hosted the sports machine, which was nationally syndicated in basically every market, mm-hmm. um, but he was also a local sportscaster for NBC in Washington. And one of my dreams actually – my only dream when I got into television was to be able to go back to Washington, D.C. and do sports. And at that time, George was at the best station and the biggest guy, and I, I wanted to go back and work for him. And I was lucky enough um, to work for him for about two years before he ended up retiring. And uh, I worked alongside Lindsay Zarniak, who does the 6 p.m. Sports Center. And we worked together for about five years. And we together kind of replaced. Yeah. Hey, you there? Yeah. Ah, uh, just 
knew it was going to happen right as I made that turn. It's the uh, price so you pay I'm, for beauty. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, where did I lose you? Uh, Lin- you and Lindsay had worked there together for about five years. Yeah, and I was just, you know, you can't, you, you can never replace a guy like George. I mean, he was a, he was a legend there in D.C., and um, it was a lot easier filling in or filling those shoes when you had somebody like Lindsay that you could work next to for, for five years. Um, and that was, that was all I ever wanted to do was, was get back to DC and, and do sports there. And, you know, I got to the point where my contract was coming up and, um, you know, naturally in, in TV, when your contract comes up, you talk to other places and, and listen to what they have to offer. Um, I ended up coming out here to, to NFL Network, and I just, I just thought that a bigger platform was good. I also thought that you know local TV and local sports in general have just been dwindling. The, the time, the amount of time that you've had, has been dwindling for years, and uh, it's very different. You know, you're you're in your mid thirties. I'm forty one. You know, when I grew up. That's what we did. We sat around the dinner table and, you know, before we had dinner, we watched the local news. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I think it's really different now. So I, I asked myself, you know, am I going to be able to get 20 more years at least out of this position or do I need to go on and, and do something else and continue to grow? And I just, I just felt like I needed to make the move. And it was, it was nerve wracking making that decision because that was home. My wife's from there. I'm from there. You know, that's all my kids have ever known. Um, but we've uh, we've really enjoyed being out here in, in Los Angeles and um, and obviously the network. Everything's been great. When you landed the the DC gig, you know your admitted lifelong dream. Did, did everything after that? Did it just feel like you were playing with house money? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I yeah, you know it's funny when um, it didn't kind of go down as I had expected it with George retiring a little earlier than we thought and. Um, you know, a couple of years later, he, he passed away. Um, I thought I would be with him for a long time and be able to learn under him. But one of the things I really enjoyed about being a local broadcaster is that you really become part of the fabric of the community. And the fact that that was the community that I grew up in and I was able to cover the teams that I grew up rooting for, um, was, it was, it was ridiculous. You know, I, I got to the point where, um, you know, I knew the owners and, and they knew me and I knew a lot of the, the players inside the locker room. You know, you can go in and cover a team, you know, for years and there are guys who don't even know your name. Um, and, and the guys that do, I think you really appreciate that they, that they take a minute to know who you are since you're in there every day. And since I was in there every day, you started cultivating these relationships with certain guys. You know, I, Chris Cooley is one of my favorite players of all time. You know, D'Angelo Hall is a guy that I got to know a little bit. Brian Arakpo now plays for the Titans. Um, you know, a lot of the Nationals. It was just a really, a lot of the Capitals. It was a fun, fun time. And you got to go, lead, get out of the studio and, and, and go to the games and do your shows live there and then, you know, be there for every big event. You know, for seven years, I was at every big event, whether it was Georgetown going to the Final Four, whether it was the Redskins in the playoffs, the Nats in the playoffs, spring training, you know, you were, you were there for everything. When was the last time you were nervous prior to either like a live segment or, or an interview or anything? Hmm. Wow, that's a great question. Um, 
I think you're all, I think that you're always anxious. <laughs> yeah. You're always anxious. I, I, I would say, um, I always, I always feel prepared. So I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm, like I'm nervous. Um, but I'm anxious. I remember the first show I did live from the Super Bowl for NFL Network uh, was in New York City. And we had a, a set right in the middle of Times Square. And there were a lot of moving parts and a lot of logistics. And we started the show and we weren't sure. I think it was Reggie Bush. I can't quite remember, but we had a, a, a guest who was supposed to show up live and so supposed to take up a big chunk of that segment. And they weren't there when we started the show. So we weren't a hundred percent sure what direction we were going to go if they didn't show up and they did show up and everything went off fine. But I remember starting that show and I, and I had a couple of, couple of scripts, but most of the show was just ad lib. And I was a little anxious for that one. Cause I'm like, all right, what are we going to do here on live TV from times square? Um, you know, first Super Bowl show of the week, you know, for, for us at NFL network that I, I was a little anxious for that. So that was what three years ago, that was three years ago in, in New York for the Super Bowl. And so that was a year after you'd left DC. That was one well, yeah, it was about six months, you know, so I started at NFL Network right before the season started, and yeah, and then at the Super Bowl, so, you know, I started in July, and that was in February. Boom, from local, local guy, six months later, doing that kind of a live on-site, I mean, that's amazing, I don't, I don't think people realize what all that entails. Well, you know, the thing that's really crazy about it is, I, I actually had experiences like that on the local level, when I was hired in Orlando to work for the local ABC affiliate. I was in West Palm beach before that. And I was on vacation on a ski trip in Aspen with my wife. And the station called and said, Hey, we really, we, we kind of reconsidered when we want you to debut. We cover the bucks on a regular basis. The bucks are playing in the super bowl against the Raiders we want you to host an hour long Super Bowl special as your first show. And I'm like, wow, okay, well, I'm, I'm actually in Colorado right now. They're like, it's fine. We'll fly you and your wife from Colorado to San Diego. We'll get you the tickets. Um, you know, we're going to have you, we're going to have you there in, it was four or five days. And so I did that. I showed up. I, you know, for the next three days, I did more studying of the, of the Bucks and the Raiders than I did of, uh, you know, actually hitting the slopes. But that gave me that experience. Mm -hmm. That was pretty nerve wracking, you know, to be there for the first time with new hosts, new anchors, you're tossing the reporters that so you don't even know how to say their names. But, you know, I did that. I was 26 years old and, um, that allowed me, that's part of that, that minor league growing up period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're probably, you know, after an experience like that, you're probably thinking, I'm close. I'm really close to doing this on a, on a national scale. And it's almost like you get put in situations to sort of exercise that muscle, so to speak, to, to get used to those environs that you wouldn't have any other way to get used to. And lo and behold, it takes, what, another six or eight years to really to get where you are now? Or I guess more than that. That was 2002. So that was 14 years. Yeah. You know, I never really had the bug that 
I, I never told myself I, I wanted to get on the national level. I never had that goal. My goal was always to get back to DC. Um, and I, I had friends, you know, all along the way that were, you know, regional sports networks and ESPN. And, um, some of them went on to work for CBS news and NBC news. And, uh, I was always really shooting for that just to get back to DC. And this just kind of happened. It just evolved. Um, you know, when I went through that whole process and, you know, I talked to Fox and talked to ESPN a couple of times, ABC news, I went pretty deep down the road with ABC news. Wow. Um, you know, and, and then with, with NBC, uh, we were going to do, we had a little thing worked out where I was actually going to do, do network news, do some network sports and stay in Washington and, and keep doing local stuff too. And then this, the NFL deal just kind of popped up out of the blue last minute. And, um, and then we just, you know, we just pulled the trigger on that. So yeah, I never had that. I never had that desire. It was, it's just kind of how it worked out. Was, uh, was NFL and, and well, I guess it was football and particularly NFL. Was that always your, your favorite sport or your prime sport that you like to cover? Always. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's in high school, I, I played uh, football, basketball and baseball and, and football was always my favorite. And it was the one I was the best at. And, you know, I, I was never big enough or fast enough to, to play in college, unfortunately, which was always what I wanted to do. Um, once I realized I wasn't going to be playing at a small school, that's when I, I broadened my college search to, to bigger schools and ended up at, at University of Tennessee, um, where they had a great football program. I was there, you know, during the Peyton Manning years where we could beat everybody except Florida except, and Nebraska and, one year. I remember in particular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. That was, that was a big one. Um, but yeah, football was always my, it was always my love and always my sport and passion. And, um, uh, you know, football, basketball, baseball, pretty much in that order. And then after covering hockey, you know, I, I, I love hockey too, but, uh, my son plays hockey now and, and he plays football. Um, so yeah, football was it, man. I think, I think any sports specific network, uh, to me, once I, once I realized I was going down that path, the NFL network was the one that, uh, was just, it was the most natural fit for me. Well, for a lot of guys who aren't able to play sports at the next level, whatever it might be, that's where fantasy sports enter the fray. And obviously mm -hmm. we're coming up, we're coming up on, uh, the start of the fantasy football season, obviously coinciding with the NFL season. How big of a fantasy guy are you? I'm pretty big. You know, we, we have a whole, fantasy department we're going to have two different fantasy football shows this year at nfl network one of them is going to be leading into into our show um total access i'm in three leagues i've been in as many as four mm -hmm. but three for me is about as about as many as i can do because you, you find yourself rooting against your own guys you know when you have that many teams which sure. to me kind of almost defeats the whole purpose but um i, I do a work league I do a league with my college buddies and I do a league with my high school buddies. And the best thing about fantasy football for me is the fact that it just kind of keeps you in touch with those groups of friends. You know, there's certain guys you, you talk to or text with all the time anyway, but you know, that's, that's 10 or 12 guys from college that I'm now communicating with on a weekly basis, but I may not have been, you know, otherwise. Um, I, and I, I love fantasy football. I've been doing it since, in Florence, South Carolina. So that was probably 1998. Nice. 90, 98, 99. So I've, I've been doing fantasy for a long time. 
That's great. That's fantastic. Because Dan, I need some hot takes. I need some real insight. Um, all, all, all the aspects that you mentioned are what makes fantasy so special. Tomorrow I have, uh, I'm in three leagues as well. I have the, uh, our draft party, our draft day for my primary league, the one I've been in the longest. Like you said, childhood friends, you're talking shit back and forth to each other all year. Um, I've got the first overall pick. Is it as simple as taking Antonio Brown? Well, is it a PPR league? Yeah, it's a half point you know, PPR. Half point PPR. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that seems to be the direction that most of our fantasy guys are leaning, except Michael Fabiano, who is my trusted guru. He's our, he's our senior fantasy analyst, and he, mm-hmm. he's going Todd Gurley number one overall. Really? Which is, is hard for me to disagree with. Almost everybody else is going Antonio Brown. Um, some people are even going David Johnson of the Cardinals because of how he finished up last year. He's such a dual threat out of the backfield. Um, my thing about Gurley is I don't, I I think Gurley's amazing. He's one of the two best running backs in football. I just tend to lean towards a team that's going to be better. And I know Adrian Peterson's older, but the Vikings are going to be really good. Mm -hmm. And they're going to lean on him, and I, I feel like he's going to score more touchdowns than a Todd Gurley just because the Vikings are going to be better than the Rams. So it's hard for me to make this transition to all these wide receiver-heavy, top-heavy drafts. Right. You know, I've always been – my first pick has always been a running back, but I get it now. Like, there's more running backs by committee. They're splitting carries. Um, it makes it tougher. I. If, if it's a TPR league, I, I might lead towards Antonio Brown just because the numbers that he puts up are just so freaking stupid. Right. And if Roethlisberger stays healthy, like like, like literally 2,000 yards and 130 catches is realistic for him. That's just crazy. That's like CFL numbers. It is. It's bananas. All right. Well, you just muddied the waters for me, Dan. I was I was about ninety eight percent Antonio Brown, but I'm an old schooler. I want to root for for Peterson. I really do. AP is a great guy. Um, I also think the draft the the draft pick of Laquan Treadwell has been under the radar. I know people are talking about him, you know, maybe needing a year to get up to speed, but I think that makes that offense finally it gives him something, even if he's just a possession receiver. Yeah, I know. I think that's going to help him out a lot. You know, I love Stephon Diggs. Um, my producer would laugh if he was listening to this interview because I, I covered him in, in high school. And half the time when we do these satellite interviews with these, with NFL guys, I'm like, yeah, I covered you in high school. Like when you were in Florida or DC, you know, just through my, through my travels. But, um, so he went to good council high school in Maryland and then went to university of Maryland. So I've, I've been hearing about this kid for a long, long time. And I think he's a breakout player this year. Stephon Diggs is going to be a thousand yard receiver doing part to the fact that Treadwell is there now. Um, another kid to watch, you know, I, I've been calling the Tennessee Titans preseason games. Right. So I've been getting a, a, a good look at them and they have a fifth round pick out of UMass named Tajay Sharp, who led college football with 111 catches last year. And people got their first taste of him on a national, uh, scale, I guess, in his second preseason game. He had six catches for 68 yards, I believe. He caught, every, he is an absolute stud. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know the Titans haven't had, they had five wins in two years. So certainly they haven't uh, been turning a lot of heads, but Mariota is on the rise and, and Tajay Sharp is already the best receiver on that team. So I think he's a sleeper that, um, 
is going to have a pretty good year. And the other guy for the Titans is Marco Murray. Everybody's been worrying about him splitting Henry's or splitting Henry's, splitting carries with Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. But Demarco is going to be the bell cow. I think you're going to see a Demarco that was closer to the Dallas Demarco than the Philly Demarco. I mean, he's going to, I think he's going to have twelve or thirteen hundred yards this year. Dan, that is the solid kind of insight I need the night before my biggest draft. There you go, brother. (laughs) That is what I needed. Thank you for the hookup. Uh, A couple of final questions. I'll let you go. Uh, Favorite interview of all time. Favorite athlete that you've ever interviewed. Um, Two of them. And they're, they're old school. Um, Jack Nicholas. When I was uh, 24, 24, yeah, probably 23, 24 years old in West Palm Beach. I had set up an interview through his PR company and, you know, Jack designs golf courses and he's flying all over the world in his, as a private jet. And then, and he was speaking at a banquet. And I don't think that his PR company had mentioned that after his talk, he was going to have to sit down with the local sports guy and, and do a 10 minute interview. So he was none too pleased um, when he sat down and the first three questions of the interview, he basically gave me one to three word answers. And I'm going through my mind thinking of, Oh my gosh, like the golden bear hates me. This is awful. What am I going to do? And I started asking about his grandkids and he just opened up about everything. And after a couple of questions about his family, I was able to bring it back around to golf and, um, that was a challenging but rewarding interview at the same time. And uh, another guy was uh, Dale Earnhardt, the Intimidator. Nice. Um, and that was when I was in Florence, South Carolina. It was my second job out of college. I was 23 years old. It was at Darlington. Mm-hmm. And uh, they called it the Lady in Black. Right. And, and, and the track too tough to tame. And there was a rain delay. And I was carrying the camera on my shoulder and holding the microphone, trying to interview the intimidator while he was walking to his RV for the rain delay. Mm -hmm. And I got a couple of questions in. He gave me some short answers. And I said, so Dale, what, what do you do during the rain delay? And he looks at me with his sunglasses on and he has his mustache and he kind of snarls. What do you do during the rain delay? (laughs) And I said, I don't know. This is my first one. And he said, well, you better figure it out. And he just kept walking. <laughs> he kept going. And I don't know, it's clearly not my favorite interview, but it's one that's, it's one that's really stuck with me um, for a long, long time. You know, I've, I've done some, I've done some fun stories. Um, you know, I, I, I did a story um, with a young man in, uh, in Maryland who was a, was a wrestler. And he had, he had no arms and no legs. And, uh, he, he had arms about to, about, about to his elbow. He, he, he had biceps and triceps and, uh, and then his legs were cut off, uh, above his knee. And he was a really good wrestler and he would ride dirt bikes. He'd do everything that you and I would do. Wow. Um, and it was, he was an amazing kid. You know, I, I did, uh, I also had the opportunity, um, to go to the Olympics for uh, NBC when I was in Washington in 2012 in London. And I was there for over a month. And uh, Katie Ledecky was one of our big local athletes. And I was there 
kind of every race, every step of the way. She won her first gold medal in London. She she kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and I got to know her, her parents pretty well. And her uncle John, who uh, is now the owner of the New York Islanders. And um, I remember after she won the gold medal and she made the rounds and did interviews and they were so gracious. They you know, let's just document everything, you know, the, the family celebration. And, um, you know, her folks said, well, you know, we're going to dinner uh, tomorrow night. We, we know your wife's in town for a couple of days. Why don't you guys come with us? And so I'm like, sure. And so we went to dinner with the Ledeckis, her uncle John and their, their best family friends and us. And we just, you just celebrated Katie Ledecky's first gold medal with the family. I just thought that was such a cool moment um, to be able to share with them. You know, they lived in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, same town where, where my wife and I live. So it was these, uh, these, all these people from Bethesda, Maryland, who are in London celebrating a gold medal. And, you know, certainly they didn't need to include us, but they did. And that, that's something I'm going to remember for a long time. And, um, it, you know, now... Now everybody knows who Katie Ledecky is after she, her performance uh, in Rio. But that wow. was pretty cool. Wow. Great story. All these stories are great, Dan. I mean, it's really cool to sort of piece it together and see how it's all come together for you. Thanks, man. Well, I, I appreciate it. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do the interview, too. I, I don't know if you're going to be able to, to weave a quality story out of it, but uh, hopefully you can do something with it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll use it uh, in a couple of ways. It'll be on bustedcoverage.com. Uh, we'll have a written piece and then a link to some sound. Um, and we'll get we'll get a lot of mileage out of it, man, really. Um, would you mind doing a promo real quick? No, not at all. Um, can not you, at all. Something along the lines of, you know, this is Dan Helley from the NFL Network, and, and you're listening to the Milk the Clock podcast. Sure. Hold on one second. I'm going to take you off speaker. Thank you. Uh, uh, let's see here. I didn't. I, I would have done that earlier if I'd known we were uh, recording for a podcast. Oh, no problem. That um, sounds good. Uh, all right. What, what did you want me to say again? Uh, this is Dan Helley from the NFL Network, and you're listening to the Milk the Clock podcast. Okay. Uh, here we go. This is Dan Helley from the NFL Network, and you're listening to the Milk the Clock podcast. Fantastic. I asked uh, Lee Steinberg for a promo a couple weeks ago and same exact thing. And he said, he said, milk the pod. (laughs) (laughs) How'd that that go, man? He, uh, he, I think he has a podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He he, like, I don't know, years ago, maybe it was right after I got to NFL network, reached out to me on on LinkedIn and asked me to be on his podcast. I'm never on LinkedIn. So I didn't see it until six months later. Um, but uh, I, I know with, with Paxton, he's kind of had a little bit of a resurgence and uh, I'm rooting for him. He went through some tough times. How, how was that uh, interview? It was great. It was, it was one of those interviews and you've interviewed enough high profile people to, to be like, I'm just going to ask my question and shut up and just let them unfurl all this knowledge and wisdom and experience. And, he was just so eloquent. Like he just, and he covered so much ground in like a, a single sentence. And the thing I liked about him too, was just his pace, his tone, just so measured. And I remember thinking and, and actually mentioning this to him, how can a young 24 year old agent compete with you, you know, in any way, if you sit down head to head with Paxton Lynch's family and this young up and coming agent tries to do the same thing. And, you know, it, it was just, it's like watching an artist, you know, it's just such a masterful job. 
um, that he's able to do with words and communication. And I, the other thing, too, that really stuck with me was how connected he is to his clients. Like, it's not just product placement here, we're going to set you up with that, we're going to get you on these shows. Like, he really, his whole goal, at least as it was conveyed to me, was that he wants these guys to be set up for like 40 years from now, and he really views them all like, like family, you know, like, like kids in a right. sense. So it was cool to talk to an icon like that who is genuine um, and just get an in, insight into the super agent genre. I mean, to, an, another thing I asked him about was, what's the competition like between you and David Falk and some of these other guys? I mean, that is just elite company. So it was great. I'd, I'd recommend talking to him. I've always been fascinated by the agent business. Um, you know, you, you brought up David Falk. I got to know him a little bit. He's a DC guy. And I remember I would interview him and, uh, and he had the, a similar, not, he wasn't battling the demons, obviously that, that Steinberg was, but you know, he kind of got out of the business for a while, sold his company and then got back in and started repping a lot of Georgetown guys as a very small, but strong NBA client list. And, you know, you, those, those name guys like Steinberg and Falk, I, I ask them the same thing. You know, I have my best friend from high school is, a, is an NBA agent. And I have a, just a couple of guys, mm-hmm. primarily uh, overseas basketball players. But uh, he, you know, I, I listen to his stories about trying to compete with the bigger agencies. It's tough. It, it, it's a grind to be a run-of-the-mill agent. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's hard, man. You know, because you're constantly trying to land that big guy. And, you know, for my buddy, for instance, you know, you want to get some, you need first rounders, you know, right. but to get those first rounders, you got to get that first one to get the second one. And that's mm-hmm. the hardest thing because everybody wants to know about your client list. Right. And, you know, for Steinberg, you can just say, look at this, you know. <laughs> right. He just unfurls it. It's like a scroll. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> that's bad. Dan, well, that's awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all the time. I'll send you a postcard of the Missouri River so you can see what you're missing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I'll be waiting with bated breath. <laughs> all right, brother. Have a great uh, season on air this year, and thanks again. Uh, thank you. Thank Take you. Care. I look forward to seeing the piece. Absolutely. See you, man. Bye.